Action Park Media. Hi, welcome to uh, Ramble On, official podcast, an unofficial show that is, I can't say it's officially done, but it's 99.6% done. Uh, right now, our DP is coloring, and tomorrow we will do uh, our sound mix. Now, this is not necessarily the finished product that would air if uh, someone is uh, nice enough to buy it, but um, it is done. I mean, that's it. We've done all we can do. It is the absolute best that's going to be with this material. Um, Memorial Day weekend just passed. I was in New York, my high school, uh, my daughter's high school graduation, and now I'm back. So, Ted, let's, I mean, there's no more bullshit. It's time to sell this thing. Sell, sell, sell. I told you we shouldn't come in and everything, you assholes. Get back in there at once and sell, sell. It really is. So I've already, uh, we've set up some meetings with a couple of big production companies. Yep. We're not going to the networks yet. We're going to go to some big production companies, talk to them, see what people think about it. But uh, meetings are getting set. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I, uh, I'm super excited to see what everybody thinks. Uh, I think we've got a great episode. I think the reshoots are absolutely killer. So I, I don't. I don't like the term. Of just so you know, TV business, which you're not really in. It's not a great episode. It's a great pilot because, and pilot. the difference. The difference being, an episode could be a nice little half hour, but this is a pilot that sets up absolutely. In my mind, sets up easily five seasons of TV, Agreed. perhaps more. And um, I'm just feeling good. And uh, oh, from yeah. your lips to God's ears. Oh, oh so ears. hang on a second. Who the doctor that? is in. Who is that? What was that? It's Connolly. Oh, talking from a book. God, is that you? <laughs> you know, the other thing I want to say about the the cut of Ramble On that I, I I've been trying to explain to to Doug. It is it is a it is a finished cut that we're showing, but it, again, it doesn't air. So you know there might be when when a buyer comes in, they may want to tweak this or tweak that. So it's they not might going, want to replace an actor, right? Well, it's not it's not who going. Who knows? Everything's in the air. It's not going on the air. So it's it is the it is the current cut. They're like we want to replace uh, Connolly with Fred Savage. What do you think about that? <laughs> I don't even want to I don't even want to talk about that. But I you know Fred Savage. Yeah, I, been I, in I, trouble. I played pickleball with him. Uh, I don't know five six months ago. He seemed like a nice guy, but I guess he's got some, some troubles. So I don't know. But, uh, um, so we all have to stay out of trouble, which I think we're all in good shape with that. And, uh, and now we start, we start showing this. So, uh, Connolly, you watched it though. Kevin called me this morning. You watched this new, pretty much finished cut. And, and I would like to say, you know, Charlie called me up speaking just specifically about Connolly's performance. And he can't believe that Connolly's performance somehow after this new opening scene seems like Connolly knew about this opening scene months before it was ever written, filmed, or anything because he just thinks Connolly's performance is so good that it actually speaks to that. So, Kevin. You mean it matches everything that was set up in the new scene? He, Charlie, and Charlie is very thoughtful in his thoughts. It's not just yeah, know, it's blabbing. Not he. You know, and he really he really takes it as an actor on, and he just feels it's not that it matches up. He feels that it's somehow strange as if Kevin somehow knew this scene was there because that's how much it feels like it was. So, Kevin, I mean, do you have any thoughts on why that is or, or what? 
Well, we, we talked on uh, Victory about how we talk about reviews, and I've said I've never gotten a good review. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie gave you one. So anytime that somebody, <laughs> anytime that, uh, you know, somebody like Charlie that, that uh, you know, I've obviously been a big fan of his work. And, and uh, yeah, so to get a call like that from Charlie, yeah, it, it, it felt nice. The other thing, too, and I, we talked about this, Charlie, who is not in the opening scene, who was not there for the additional day of photography, actually went on and watched all the dailies. Yep. I mean, it just goes to show how, how invested he is in this project. And, um, yeah, man, he watched all the dailies of a, of a day that he wasn't in. And he's been, he's been, you know, look, he's been great, helpful in, in script ideas and casting ideas. I mean, that's how we found Harvey Gian. Charlie and I were watching Reacher at the same time, but I think, you know, so everyone can try to take a little understanding of, of the process. One of the reasons Connolly's performance really is phenomenal in the show, but I think one of the reasons that it all is able to match up so well, and one of the hard things about writing a script and also writing about a world that I live in and know so intimately is sometimes you write something, which is what I think I did the first time, as if everybody knows it as well as I do. And what you have to do when you're creating a new show and a new world is you have to let everybody in on that without being boring and expository. And um, I think I jumped past certain things because it was just there. And we've talked about it before on this podcast, but at the screening, people had a lot of questions about Connolly's character. And now I have zero doubt that they're all there, but one of the reasons why I think Charlie feels the way he does is because, Kevin, you and I know it because we're living it, and it was there, and it just had to be expressed artistically or comedically, however you want to describe it, but I think that first scene now, it just sets up your character and your problems so well while still being entertaining, you know? Well, let, let's face it, and so, you know, somebody told me this a long time ago, like, a problem on the page in a script is not going to magically disappear on a set. Yeah. It will rear its head. So that's always been the problem. Yeah. It was something that we tried to work through when we were shooting and it just, it just was a problem that we just weren't able to crack in that first, you know, in that first run. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, and thanks again to Ted that we were able to go back. And even furthermore, that, that day when we were, when we were in the bank, you know, we joked around about, oh, this is such an easy day. We, we had, you know, it was a three-page scene, but, but we were able to work through that problem and we had the time to do it where on another day or on another show or certainly in some other projects I've been involved in, we would have been dead in the water if that scene wasn't done by lunch. Yeah. So we were lucky to have the time yeah. to go, all right, everybody stop, take a breath and let's gather and figure out how we can get through this scene. Cause it was a problem with the script. It was always a problem and we finally cracked it. It's really, it's really going to be interesting to see how an audience views it, but I think that really what you just said summed up so well the difficulties of a pilot. And one of the things, you know, with this scene, which my cinematographer, Dave Perkle, who, you know, I, I get sensitive with scripts, but Ted sometimes doesn't understand why I say Dave had a problem with the new scene when I first wrote it. And my first reaction usually, especially with my friends who I work with, is go fuck yourself. You know, what are you talking about? Jerk but off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't stop thinking about when someone says something. And one of the hardest things to do in writing 
is to bury exposition in a good scene that people want to watch. And what I mean by that is you don't want to watch Kevin Connolly come out and go, hi, I'm Kevin Connolly. I was I'm an Irish kid from Long Island, and I do this. But you want to learn as much about him as you can while being entertained. And Dave continuously did not stop pushing me to go get rid of this fucking exposition, make this scene work and make it interesting. But what I want to talk about, you know, we talked about on the podcast last week about Ted and I had this fight because the truth is I was so focused on solving the problem that as it ultimately turns out, was really simplifying. And oftentimes when you're writing, the biggest thing you can do is simplify it. Make it easier to understand. Make it so a child could understand it. And then it will hopefully be the best it can be. And we were very lucky because, you know, I've talked about Harvey Gein a bunch of times on this show, who I believe is going to be a huge star by the time Ramble I mean, he is. We're probably not going to be able to get him because he's going to be an Emmy winner by the time the show goes. I think his show already is. But, but... When we got the two guys that we got for this new scene, uh, Tremel Tillman from Severance, Larry Joe Campbell from uh, numerous things. Man, you got you you had those dudes in your crosshairs, and you went out and you got them, bro. I mean, and it really. But the other thing I was speaking of, and, and Tremel is a theater actor, so we were on the set, and and I mean this, every scene that we shot, with the exception of that scene at Michael's. It just, they worked the way we were hoping, we were happy, we were on set, and we were just trying to make them better and better and better. The scene at the restaurant with Charlie and Kevin, um, there was a small problem, but I solved it in like 90 seconds on the set, and it was great. This one was a moment of, of stress, and I'm there with a new actor who um, had just worked with Ben Stiller for a year, and you know, I was, I, you know, you, you kind of get that insecurity. I had that, you know, I had that feeling that I had when Larry Charles brought Larry David onto the show, and there was this problem that was going on on the set. Do you feel was, like he was comparing you to Stiller? I felt being judged, and I don't want to make it like Tremel did anything because what he a, did. an amazing guy. And, and yeah, I, he was. He I, was great. I spoke about it last week. I picked him up at his at his hotel. I thought that was weird. I thought that was weird. Like weird, like I made <laughs> like made him uncomfortable I, weird? No, or? I just think about like you guys driving home in traffic. Like, <laughs> what were you guys talking about? Was the radio on? What do you and Tramel talk about in an hour trip back to LA? You know, we had a, I, I mean, I can't you talk business? Do you I, talk, did you talk about the day? I can't speak for him, so he might have been like, Jesus, get me out this of this car. This guy's fucking nuts. But I had a great trip there with him. I'm glad I did because it made me feel more, uncom- more comfortable on set. And again, he might have had some discomfort himself, but once once you're sitting in the middle of a scene and something's not working and uh, an actor can start to get insecure that they're the problem, which he never was. I mean, he was just amazing. But on the way back, I think we talked a little bit about this. And, and you know, again, I can only speak for my side of it. I don't know what was going on in his head, but he told me about how Severance was shot and how Ben worked through many things on the set and did things tons of different ways. And obviously they had a lot more time than we did. So I think he felt the day went great. I think he felt really good with, with you and I, and I don't know, we had a great conversation, but, uh, yeah, I, I also, I think the smartest thing that, that we did was sort of bring him into the conversation because, yeah. you know, we were, yeah, an actor can think that, especially an actor who's coming in and, and, and it's like, what's the problem? Why aren't we, why, why are we on take 12 of this? <laughs> yeah. Is this my fault? And, and I think the minute we folded him into the conversation, he actually was a 
great help to us because he had an understanding of what our problem was and he's a super smart guy with a high acting IQ and he was able to help us get there. But I also, one of the interesting things about a great actor and, and getting something right on the page, when an actor doesn't really have the clear motivation from the script, it can be a problem. I don't care if it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, you may still be able to watch him, but it's like, what are we playing? And it's weird. I mean, someday maybe we'll actually show this scene in different versions um, and why it wasn't working. And some people might go, oh, that was working pretty well anyway. They won't see the subtle differences. But the three of us had zero doubt that we had a problem. And what I think is great when you find an actor, once they get what they're playing, it's a whole different universe. And, and I said with this opening scene, the reason I bring up Harvey is because everybody who saw that screening, I don't think a lot of them were necessarily familiar with Har Harvey's work, but he just popped right off the screen. And uh, you know, Chris Case, who was on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, who I wrote Day Ones with, you know, he's been talking to me for five weeks that there's a whole spinoff character on that Harvey thing, which would be great if we get picked up, but even greater if we have a spinoff show as well. Yeah, well, let's start with getting this one picked <laughs> up before you go spinning people off. But my point is, is it was extremely important to me that these first two characters that we see with you pop the way Harvey did. People that m you may or may not be familiar with, and in less than two minutes, hopefully you have an attachment with. And I think these two guys... Um, you know, we're better than I could have hoped for. So, Kevin... They were just pros, dude. But one of the things I want to talk about, everything that happens in that first scene has happened to you in real life. And now I have to take it into my own head and I have to spit it onto a page that works for you. And then I have to find actors because one of the things, and we're not going to talk about specifics and it's irrelevant, it's more about the process, but the opening of this show actually happened to you in life. And I know for the last four or five weeks... You've been hanging on to the absolute reality of it, right. which is tough for me because there's no way I could ever actually enter the exact reality of it unless you went and made no, it without no, me. No, so. I mean, like, listen, you, you take those stories and then you have to create the, the most realistic version of it, right? It's like, obviously, you're not going to create beat for beat a moment that I had with a guy at the farmer's market, you know, <laughs> right. whatever, two years ago or yeah. whatever it is. So, it, so it, you have I, to get away from that. And that, that sometimes as the person that it happened to, you could get hung up on, well, I was not standing there. I was standing here. And you just have to make it your own and let it go. Basically. So, but now you've watched it four times. And obviously I was, I, I, I was nervous. Okay. What if, not if you don't like the actor, he's a great actor, but if it doesn't play into your mindset, because we know how funny that story is. And what's weird is this story that opens this show was in the original opening that I ended up getting rid of. And now we brought it back, which was Perkle's idea. Yeah, actually, Perkle's like, that was so funny. Why is it gone? And, and that's why it is so important for everybody to be listening to everything that comes from anywhere and be able to digest it and determine what you need and what you don't need. But now, Kevin, now you've seen it four or five times. Doesn't he just crush it? However different it is than what well, really no, happened. I, I, it, it, it lives up to the real moment. That's way correct. more than I could have ever imagined. And I wouldn't have even meant that it would have not worked if it wasn't as close. Yeah. But with regards to the spirit of the moment, I mean, it, it was an upper deck shot for yeah. sure. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited. And I'm now, um, I know the difference in how I'm feeling now because you were asking me, 
before the screening at my house. Do you have any stress or anxiety? And I was like, you know, I'm starting to get it as we get closer and closer to showing it to people. I have none anymore. You know, I mean, I, the world is going to be the world and you, you never know how things are going to work um, and what people are going to really see of it. But I am a hundred percent confident. You're, you're the one. And they, you, you said you're, you know, you're, you're a directing teacher at AFI. You can't travel with your work. Yep. Right. So I guess for me, and this is a question for both you and Ted, and it's funny because I've asked this exact same question. So we're recording this on Tuesday. This will air. When do you guys air? Tomorrow Thursday? Or Thursday. Tomorrow or Thursday? Yeah. So by the time people are listening to this, the show will essentially be out to market, for yeah. lack of a better. Yeah. People will be seeing it. Now, Ted, I know you're, you keep it close to the vest and you're a pretty cool customer. Um, Doug, obviously you're a little bit more emotional, but how do you guys feel? I mean, I understand that you're, you're confident in, in the material, but, and in the work, but it's gotta be a little nerves there. No. Cause this is going to move pretty quickly, right? Well, I don't want to get people like the anticipation that somehow this moves quickly. I'm working on what's called the story document to pitch people what's going forward because it's not just a movie. If this was a 90-minute movie with this quality, I would, I would literally bet my life that it will sell for more, than we, for more than double what we spent, I believe even more yeah. than that. But because we have to go, hey, can you give us all this more money? Can you lock everyone up to contracts? Can you start us writing new scripts? That's a, a, a bigger, bigger commitment. It's a bigger ask. But um, as I just said, I had something holding me back now. There's nothing holding me back. Even before I was like, oh, I don't want to send people links. I don't really care. As long as it, there's no way for it to be, um, I don't mean stolen, but to end up on- Copyrighted. Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's ways to protect against As that. long as that, I don't care who sees it now. I am so confident in what we have, and I feel so good in the cast and the production, but something was definitely holding me back, and it, and it, was, um, it was the opening. And it's so important that you get started off right and you let people- uh, settle into what the show is and you grab them quickly and you know severance which I, I don't know what people think I think it, it's a very successful show I believe but um, that for me opening of that show I was immediately in now you don't totally understand what's happening but you're immediately intrigued and invested. You, you're like I want to see what's going on here whereas our show the beginning was more like I don't really know what's happening here and I'm not really sure I care <laughs> you know and that's yeah, in the first in the first cut. For That's sure. a big problem, and and one of the things I want to talk about that I think this podcast hopefully can can help people understand the process. But you know, there's a new show out that that Ted's been watching. Connolly, you need to watch it. But the offer on Paramount Plus is about the making of The Godfather. Now, part of me. It's so cartoonishly goofy. Yeah, it's a scripted show. It's not a documentary. Yeah, but it's still, it's like, it's so um, kind of elevated in tone to me. Yeah. But it is an awesome look at the process. And there are so many similar things yeah. to what we're going through that they go through on that show. And really that everybody goes through when they're making their independent productions, no matter For what sure. the budget is. You all, you all, my daughter is saying goodbye right now, goodbye. Um, but it is, it, it is... Um, a really great look um, 
at what you go through. And even them, they're making The Godfather, which is ultimately going to be one of the greatest movies of all time, which, by the way, I watched twice over the weekend while I was in New York yeah, on my there's iPad. seriously something wrong with you. No, no, there's not something wrong with me at all, actually. <laughs> Are you not sleeping? I, I mean, what the hell? I, I'm just, it's a three-hour movie. I am very... First of all, it doesn't even... To me, it doesn't even feel like three hours. And watching it the second... I probably haven't watched it in 10 years. Watching it the second time was even better than the first time. And right now, I'm very focused on giving us an epic story that can go on and on and on. So I'm watching things that inspire and motivate me. So it's not, I'm not just doing this because I'm bored out of my mind. I'm doing it because I really want to study great filmmaking. But my, my point was these guys were making a movie that they had no idea what people were going to think of it. They had their belief like we do. They put Al Pacino in it, according to this show, where nobody wanted him, nobody knew who he was. He and was like a he was like an off off Broadway theater actor. Yeah, I mean, he had done a small movie or whatever. But um, w- when you watch it and think back to the moment of anxiety of thinking, what is this movie going to be, and how you know Kevin? We can talk about this for a minute because Godfather. It's not that I will ever, I know Kevin will make fun of me. We do that on Victory, though. We can leave that out of here. It's not that I ever believe I'm going to make something like The Godfather in my life. But the inspiration from that movie, and you can see it all over Entourage, and I mean the homages to Goodfellas and to Godfather, because those movies spoke so personally to me in different ways. I mean, Kevin directed an episode where we legitimately reenacted the gun scene from, <laughs> from the, the bar. So when I watch it, Kevin, in, in this movie, and they're talking about, A, how it happens, B, they're going into that bathroom. You and I did it, Kevin. Talk, talk about that for a second. When you directed the episode where Ari hides his phone, I have no idea what season it was. It was season seven. Um, it was the second to last episode of season seven, and it's when him and Amanda and they're fighting over the football team and Vince and Sasha and, and he's a, he hides the phone, but, and we, we put some kind of a box in there because <laughs> there was a non-existent box. It was some, some kind of thing that got it, that, that seemed like it could be there. Um, yeah, which in the Godfather, it's there. So right, there's no reason it would be at Wolfgang's in 2022. Right, but I want to say we did like a, it was like a hand towel or whatever it was, but you know, it's funny. We literally had the, the iPad out and we were literally trying to create it second for second, beat for beat. Yeah. And then at a certain point you were like, well, this is a half hour comedy. I mean, we, can't, <laughs> we can't literally, I mean, we tried to reenact the entire thing like beat for beat and it just was like all right I think the diehards will get it he but, finds but, it but back you know there. what I love that we did that and it's why why this show oh, it was so fun man why the show the offer speaks to me so much because I do you know Miles Teller who's in the show which I, I'm kind of uh, out of the business now the day we'll, we'll get into Top Gun in a second do you guys hear birds chirping yeah, crazy? yeah that was weird I, I feel like we're at um, the Tiki Lounge so <laughs> but uh I was watching the offer less than uh, eight days ago and I text my girlfriend I'm like how is this Miles Teller not the biggest movie star in the world I had no idea he was in Top Gun and which I ended up seeing a week later I'm like I, I never see him in anything anyway he's in Top Gun and I believe now whether whether I'm really out of it. This guy is going to explode even more than that. But he's so good in the offer. But the reason I love the show so much and what I tried to put so much into Entourage about is my love of film history and how much it has influenced me. And again, I'm not putting myself with these people. But that's not... Like uncommon, Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese, yeah. they'll talk about how their influences are. But The Godfather, we put 
Johnny Drama in the Godfather game, an electronic arts game. We did the five families meet. Ari says we got to get all the families together, meaning the agencies in town. Um, Kevin Dillon, when he walks out of um, um, the massage in Vegas, I told him to drop his lotion the way Michael Corleone drops the gun. And Coppola in the show, which, again, I don't know if it really happened or not, but I love it so much, he pitches Golly, that whole scene of Michael holding the gun after he kills, uh, what is it, McCluskey and then, uh, I forget. Salazzo. Salazzo. Oh, there you go, Carly. Salazzo. And it's so riveting for me to watch it because when you watch that show, you really see how people pitch things and how, yeah, you could read The Godfather, the book. But how do you turn it into a movie? Or how do you turn it into a TV show? And those are all the things that happen when you go, okay, I've got this world of Action Park Media and Kevin Connolly's life. I've got my life that I've seen through the eyes of this while I've been here. But how do you turn that into a half-hour episode where people can understand everything that's happening? And that's why the opening was so important to me. And uh, Didn't you and Dylan, <laughs> didn't Dylan get really mad at you? Um, in Vegas with the lotion dropping thing. Cause I was with you. It's so specific. Yeah. But I, he just wasn't like, he's like, I'm not, well, I'm not looking at it. Like yeah. I, I, we didn't, we couldn't cue up the scene yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. So he was starting to get frustrated. And then whenever I come in and like try to pile on and do my rendition <laughs> of it, Dylan, that wouldn't go over well with Dylan. <laughs> but I knew exactly what it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I by could the way, do it. It, it probably makes no difference. It's just funny. To anyone watching it, unless you know that I am trying to get him release that lotion in the hallway, walking away the same way Michael releases the gun. And, you know, whoever doesn't know The Godfather, watch it immediately. And I would watch the offer first and then watch The Godfather so you can appreciate just a look at, at the behind the scenes. But, um, you know, the, mo the, the moment in the movie is so important because it's when Michael Corleone completely changes into a different character. And when you can find that in, in a script where you can have it motivated, have it believable, and understand where he came from and where he might be going to next, you know, you can lead to making Godfather 1 and 2, two of the greatest movies ever godfather three was an abomination in my opinion but uh but you Just know it's a tough act to follow you know of course it is but so is two and two might even be better than one i watched two uh last night so in the last 72 hours or 100 hours i watched godfather twice and then i watched godfather two hey doug did you ever see the version where they string it all together yeah yeah i've seen in it in sequence yeah i don't know i, I, I think they that. released that at the theater i think i saw that it, it was like a whole day at the, like i like <laughs> yeah. I, I remember getting there at like nine in the morning and leaving when it was dark you know yeah. what it's interesting because Coppola is smart right he's the 82 releases which he also just did with apocalypse now i don't know if you've seen this i have not seen. so it. there was apocalypse now the theatrical and then there was apocalypse now uh, redux which had like a bunch of other bells and whistles in it and now he's releasing the final cut which is shorter than redux but his what he considers to be his final cut. Hmm. So this is now the third time that this guy's released Apocalypse Now, and every sucker like me is like, oh my God, yeah. we gotta watch this. Of course, you barely know the difference. You know what, though? He, he is a genius, and he's a businessman as well, and he's put up his own money. That's why, you know, Hearts of Darkness, which is the documentary about the making of Apocalypse, interests me so much, and Coppola's career in general. And he says in the offer, which I believe is real, is like, 
He needed the paycheck for the Godfather to support whatever his business was that he was doing up in San Francisco, which I don't yeah. know if it was the vineyards. Wine, maybe. I, don't, I don't know if it was back then or, or, or not, but he's a businessman as much as he is a filmmaker. But what you also see is there's so many lines in that show, The Offer, that I'm like, I'm watching myself. And it's just scary because... When I get involved in a project, which you always like to think you're doing it, I'm doing it for money. Once you get artistically attached to something, it becomes very personal. And yeah. what's so brilliant about The Godfather versus this show, The Offer, they, The Godfather is famous for it's not business. I mean, it's not personal. It's just business. And the real gangsters can separate it. Even when they, your own family gets killed, they go, don't take it personally. It's just the right business move. And, uh, but in the show, the, the guy playing Coppola or Coppola says so many times he realizes how much he's now attached yeah. to this and how much he cares. And that's what happens. So now when you ask me, I've thank God for Ted because I, I've been less invested financially than I, I, I was expected to do or thought I was going to do. But I wake up every day now and I am so invested in this uh, artistically or whatever you want to call it. I yeah. so badly want to get this out to the world yeah. and I want people to see it that, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't matter that I don't have my money in it, but I'm certainly no less stressed than if I didn't have money. Of course. You know, than I, than of, I did, you yeah. know? And, um, no, because everybody's put in what they put in. I mean, we're all invested in it at this point. It doesn't really matter how, how, how that came about. It's Everybody wants to see it come out. Yeah, right? and Miles Teller's character, which I think Connolly is like this, um, but his character in the show, which is very much like me when I'm working, which is why I try to work as little as possible because I know how much it affects my personal life, it becomes consuming to me and and miles teller's character is like when he's with his girlfriend she's constantly just looking at him like where are you and he's basically just going i am trying to I'm make this problems. movie yeah. in every second of the day i am thinking about what i can do better how i can make it happen how i can overcome this i mean we had a scene we talked about it on the show but we were shooting a scene and uh in the middle of the scene charlie and kevin uh the the guy at the restaurant which i'm not afraid to say it now <laughs> michael's in santa monica he wanted to kick us out in the middle of us shooting the scene it wasn't he, even in the middle it was like the first eight minutes we were there we were just setting up yeah by the way we weren't late we agreed to a deal he had a contract now the difference is i sent this uh video to everybody i filmed the scene from the offer basically one of the mobsters who's helping the godfather get made real mobster which is apparently how this really went down he takes the guy and throws him in a closet and there were times on the set where i was like people had to calm me down because i was about to fucking go crazy on this guy i'm like we're in the middle of shooting it we agreed to pay you exactly what you asked you he already fucked us by the way do you remember what happened yeah is? of course you got to stay out of that stuff though you know what i mean 100 percent. like generally speaking you know that you don't want your director spinning, you know, out of control, like with the locations. Of course. Well, I told... It's hard not to, but... I, I sent Ted another scene from the offer, uh, Miles Teller basically telling Coppola what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. I said, Ted, this is what a proper... And I'm not saying you didn't do these things, but this is what a proper producer Correct. does right now to keep... The director, the writer, the actors thinking about nothing but making the show good. But during that scene, I was getting angry and anger and anger. And I was kind of wishing I was like Pesci and uh, Goodfellas going, keep him here. And I could yeah. go because this guy and I'm uh, at Michael's, which we are. We this show will be done at this guy's restaurant. But 
What an asshole. So we agreed to a price. We signed a contract. And then... I never did understand what his problem was. His I problem is he's an asshole and he's a greedy well, guy. Well, I think, I think what ended up happening, I mean, the, the con- for context for everybody, is we first had an agreement with the guy about shooting there. We yeah. said, this was... We went on location scouts. Doug was like, this is our place. Yeah. It was the most expensive of all the things that we had to choose from. Yeah. And when he said that to me... Everybody looked at me like, oh, this is going to go badly. And I said, listen, if this is the place, this yeah. is the place. And also, just it. to add to it, I mean, Connolly had a good friend offer us Jonah's Kitchen, which is a great, it's great an awesome place. place. Awesome place. But it wasn't the look I wanted. And, and again, I'm not Coppola. But Coppola is in this television show acting like Coppola, talking about this location. It has to it be has it. to be. Al Pacino has to be the guy. There's no right. difference, which is why I said with like Harvey Guillen's character, we had, you know, the, the, the guy who quit the show and now wants to sue me was like throwing this other actor at me. I said, it's, that's it's not, not the guy. It's yeah. not the guy. And I'm going to hold out until I find the guy. And we did. And similar to how Entourage was going. I mean, there was a time where I was like, you know, if Jeremy Piven is not in the show, which let's talk about that for one minute. Michael Landis is an incredible actor. He plays Vic Damone in The Offer. He was the guy for Ari if Jeremy Piven did not oh, sign his contract. That I didn't know. So, you know, and, and Michael Landis was awesome. And Michael Landis actually looks more like the real Ari yes. than Ari looks. But I was obsessed with Piven. And there was a moment, you got to remember, when Entourage happens, I have probably $17,000 in the bank and a new child, I believe, on the way, or, or I have it. Money is a main thing. But there was a moment where I said, and I swear to you, just so we can be clear, I love Michael Landis, and I think he would have been awesome. There was definitely a moment where I said, if I don't have Jeremy Piven, I quit. Like, I, I, like where am I going, by the way? <laughs> yeah. I would have been working at the, fucking, was like, yeah, okay, the Walmart. Good luck with that. But what they say in the offer is, there's a moment on every film set where the director, creator, whatever you want to call so it, threatens quit. to quit or does quit. <laughs> and Coppola almost quit like nine times. But in the, in the, mo- in the, the show The Offer and allegedly in real life, just like what happened at that restaurant, they signed the contract, they're in the middle of shooting, and the, the, the restaurant owner starts yelling, I want you guys out of here in an hour. They weren't even going over. Well, and they, a mobster took them, which Connolly should have done. That's what I want to do. Stuffed them in the stuffed closet. Stuffed them in a closet and let them finish. But yeah, I mean, when, dude. When, <laughs> we, when, we were, when we were first getting started, uh, it was, let's, we'll take this restaurant. And he had agreed, offered us a price. We agreed to it. It was the most expensive choice we had, yep. but we agreed to it. Yep. And then like two days later goes... Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. And we were left scrambling. It was last minute. We were supposed to be shooting within a couple of days. And um, we then agreed to his new price. Yeah. And then we got there. And I think, well, not I think, I know exactly what happened. He had a couple of guys that were there sort of supervising us to make sure we didn't break any of his shit. Yeah. And it was basically an empty restaurant. But uh, when we get there, they immediately call him. I'm watching them. They get on the phone with the guy and tell him, Who's there? What's it? You know, because nobody Sheen, said, nobody said, Kevin hey, we're Collins. filming a, a, a little TV show and then Charlie Sheen's going to show up. Nobody told him what it was about. Nobody right. told him what was in there. And he finds out, oh, it's Doug Ellen from Entourage. Oh, and I don't know if they told him who I was and Googled my name. Oh, and it's Charlie Sheen. Oh, and Kevin Connolly. And the place is packed. And he's now like, everybody's got to get out of here. This is not what we agreed to. It's, it's just, and they were also closed, by the way. They were closed that entire day. It was a Monday. It was a Monday when they were closed. And they made a deal. And, and he literally is giving us shit. And I looked at Gary. I didn't even know that he had talked to you about oh, it. Oh, everyone I, talked to me because I was getting I thought he'd come to me. 
And, and Gary comes to me and he goes, what should I tell him? <laughs> and I told him, we have a contract. Feel free to break it. And it's going to cost you 800 times what this thing was going to pay you. Because when it's over and you fuck this thing up, I'm going to sue you. I wanted to come say, on down. I wanted to say two Godfather lines, which is one: either your uh, your signature, or your brains yeah. are going to be on this contract, and two: here is my offer to you: nothing, nothing, not similar. even the gaming license fee. Yeah. But but you Ted, know. you Ted, you nailed it, bro. You hit it on the head. Well, no, he, he started getting the calls from his guys like, "Yo, Charlie Sheen is here. This is a big deal. These guys got money, and he got and he got mad." But yeah, and still- he was like, he was regretting his choice of, "Oh, I've only let this go for five figures instead of six. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, it come on, ridiculous. man. We were there for four hours. We treated well, the place like gold. Well, and by the way, like we treated the place like gold. Right. We set everything up. We put everything back. Like, it was it was immaculate. It was great. Our crew's totally professional. Like, it was it was perfect. But, but this is what goes down during production. Yeah. It's funny, because I thought his guys were pretty cool. I didn't know they were dropping dime when on us. When they were there, they were fine. They were nice Because to they me. were caught up in the moment. <laughs> but, yeah. but their job was not to be fine. Their job was to... Tell me what's going on down there. And yeah. they, they immediately called the guy because we hadn't even started rolling it. And he was already giving us the. But, it, but get it's out. so awesome to just see how many of the similar things that are going on while they're making. And doesn't mean we're going to be the godfather, because like I said, every independent film yeah. goes through the same stuff. But, you know, the show has so many enjoyable moments to me. I mean, the guy playing Bob Evans. So Bob Evans is another. By the way, he, he was great. Yeah, he's awesome. But another great story. Bob Evans, one of the great producers and studio heads of all time um he so i write this bob character on entourage that martin landau is going to play it legitimately has nothing to do with bob evans nothing it's actually based on a character that i met while i was filming a movie that kevin Connolly loves called kissing a fool where this guy would constantly say to me is that something you might be interested in if kissing a fool made a billion dollars is that yeah that's something i'd be fucking interested in obviously (laughs) but so i did it and and Martin Landau did it. Then our locations, you get a list of locations that are available to shoot at. And Bob Evans' house is on this list. I'm like, oh, and Bob Evans' house is legendary and it's amazing. And just for a little context, anyone doesn't know this, two things. About 15 years ago, Bob Evans, who's now passed away, he did a books on tape called The Kid Stays in the Picture. Yeah, that it became documentary is awesome. The, but before the documentary, it became the biggest thing in Hollywood. Everyone was driving around in their cars listening to their first books on tape, which everyone should listen to before they watch the documentary that I'm telling you they should watch after. But everybody, he was just such a charismatic guy with such incredible stories about The Godfather, about his movie star girlfriend leaving him for Steve McQueen. It's fantastic. Um, but we get Bob Evans' house to shoot at. So I'm shooting with Martin Landau, who knows Bob Evans for 30 years. And Martin Landau, by the way, which I... Wait, so the, the, the Martin Landau house is Bob Evans' house? Is Bob Evans' house, oh, but here's, here's what happens. So we're, we're shooting, and we shoot, and Martin Landau... I'm not sure if it was, this would be so weird if it was. Martin Landau did another movie where he actually plays Bob Evans. I think it was a movie with police and Harrison Ford or something, or it might have even been the rookie with Charlie Sheen. I don't remember, but you can look it up. He wears Bob Evans glasses and he talks like Bob Evans in this show that you're watching. Wow. So Martin Landau, who is one of the great impersonators, can literally do anybody. He's not playing Bob Evans in this show. And Bob Evans is sitting next to me at the monitors while we are filming this scene with Kevin Connolly and, and Martin Landau playing a character named Bob who has nothing to do with Bob Evans. And I am talking to Bob Evans and I am getting some great Hollywood stories and oh. I am absolutely loving it. 
Like a week or two later, HBO tells me that Bob Evans wants to sue me for this character making fun of him and mocking him. It was 100% not the case. But we ultimately, HBO said we had to get rid of the front of his house that looked like his house. And that was, I guess, how we settled it. But it's just, you know, it's it's another one of those things you go through on a production where all of a sudden you wake up, you're having the greatest day of your life watching Martin Lando absolutely create a character that I wrote. Yeah. And all of a sudden somebody else wants to sue you. Well, over and, it. But you're sitting next to, I mean, like, you know, look for anybody who loves the movie business and loves the, the, all the backstories like we do, like, you're, you're with Bob Evans. Like, that's like, it's like sitting next to Hank Aaron and watching a baseball I, game. I loved it and I <laughs> soaked it all in. And I had been in his house before because Brett Ratner lived there and I had been there before. And I, I loved every minute of it. And when I heard, I thought it was a joke. He's going to sue me. Yeah, but now as you're you devastated, know, right? I, I got another joke. I hear about somebody else suing me. And then, <laughs> and sometimes just people are just desperate in this town to yeah. try to grab onto something. But um, it's part of the production things. Last week, we talked about all of the stresses. That we could have. And, and what was I worried about? What did I tell you a hundred times? I was worried about COVID. COVID. Okay, not because I'm going to die from it, but anyone in the production getting COVID. So what happened five minutes after we walked out of recording the last episode, and let me just give a little... Of, pre- of this podcast. Of this podcast. Last week. Let me give a little pretext. You know, I said it on the podcast, but a month ago, I walked out of the editing room. I left, and Gary Goldman, my producer, who was in the editing room, called me and said the editor had some type of medical collapse. disaster and had to be rushed to Cedar sinai and, and honestly, for a minute, we thought like something bad was going to happen to this guy, which is also bad on the production. But this time... We talked about it on the podcast. The next thing I know, I walk out of here, I get into the parking lot, and they tell me our editor has COVID. Yes. And as we talked about several times on this podcast, the last six weeks has been legitimate torture because it all could have been done in like three days. But everything has been waiting to get our great crew back, waiting to get our great editor back. So anyway, John Corn is fine. He's healthy. But it... Took another few days away. Yeah, from no, it, us, so. it definitely it put a little hitch in our giddy up. Yeah. So anyway, we're here now. Um, you know, uh, I'm really, I can't wait to see what people say. I think, uh, you know, like the anticipation. I wanted to discuss it just a little bit, which Connolly didn't see it, but I know how much you loved the Top Gun uh, sequel remake, whatever you want to call it. Well, so much so, like, so you just confessed to watching Godfather twice while you were gone for the weekend. Did you I, go again? I. Uh, so I had a tennis tournament in uh, Palm Desert for my son. Yeah. And uh, one of the days we had to cancel. Kyle, you're talking on, on the mic. Uh, one of the days there was a cancellation because there was a 40-mile-an-hour winds and a sandstorm. So his coach, who had been hearing us talk about it, because I took yeah. my son in, in your place uh, for the premiere, he was like, oh, well, maybe we can go to the movies. I was like, Top Gun it is. And we went and we saw it a second time, and I was still just as moved and motivated as I was yeah, the Yeah, you know, time. I mean, I, I, again, because some of it, you know, relates back to us a little bit. You know, Val Kilmer, who's... who's don't, sick, don't ruin anything. I'm not ruining anything. It only made $250 million. I think everyone in America... Right, but I haven't seen it yet. No, I'm not going to give you any things away except for Val Kilmer's in it, and Val Kilmer is legitimately sick and, and can't really speak, so that's his character. But um, I thought this was... Um, the best Tom Cruise performance I've seen in 20 years. It was which, awesome. Which was, which is a shocking thing because it's Top Gun. I just expected it to be, you know. Yeah, you think it's 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 lighthearted bubblegum kind of. There was some real emotion. In no, this there was show. really good, really good stuff. And, and a little bit about it, I think what was interesting about Tom Cruise in this, it's a really humbling performance, which. I, 
I think it reminded me a little bit of how I feel about Charlie Sheen in the show, you know, and uh, humbling in, in what way? He is just being, recognizing his age, and recognizing his, his age, him being his limitations, beaten down yeah. by the other people in this thing. And it's the first time and he does not look old. It would be I would kill. I'm, I'm to getting close to that. that ever. Well, I mean, just like <laughs> he's on the beach with 25 year old guys. Yeah, who are in the that best was shape of their life, And he looks that was the only part of the movie that I was like, all right, did we really have to do this? But <laughs> no, he's distinguished. Cruz has become yes. a distinguished he gentleman. Has. It's he the has. first time I really saw him on camera where it didn't feel like, why does this guy never age? And it didn't feel like he looked old. He looks great. But everything about it for, a, for Top Gun, which I was just expecting, you know, okay, that was cool, this and that. It had real Well, there's context, to it. right? Because the context is, is that movie was out, I mean, I hate to even say this. It was almost 40 years ago. Like, so he may have been an 18 or a 19-year-old actor in that first one. There's no denying what he must be now because that's where the story goes. Yeah. So, and, and that was great. I think they embraced it. The, the whole story was about it was, it was vulnerability. Awesome, it, was, it was amazing. You know, when we talk about the greatest gangster movies of all time, you know, Once Upon a Time in America, mm. uh, I think Serge Leone, right, uh, Kevin? Yes. I, so, I mean, Jennifer Connelly is in that movie. Like, I'm a oh, child, yeah. right or wrong? Yeah, she's in it. I, yeah. I mean, and... God, I didn't even remember that. I just, you know, I don't know. I really, uh, I do have. I, I'm worked gonna, with her, and he's just not that into you. That's Shut right. Up. Oh, look at you. Jennifer Connelly has been one of my favorites. Well, I mean, forever. I showed, uh, you know, my boys who are both teenagers. Opportunity now, knocks. Uh, uh, career opportunities. Career opportunities. You know, I, I, because they're, they're seeing this woman who is a vi- an incredibly beautiful woman, yeah. e- right, e- even to this moment. And they were like, who's, who's, the, who's the girl? Was she in the. Fr- Do I don't remember her from the first one. And yeah, they, you know, I won't describe what, what they described her as, but uh, they were like, yeah, she, wow, she was a really good looking woman. And I said, guys, you have no idea. When I was your age, this movie came out called Opportunity Knocks, and I pulled it up. Of course, that's the beauty of phones these days. Yeah. And I showed them, and they were like, oh. It's, <laughs> you it's, know, like, it, it's crazy. So it's weird, though. They're like, to get, to, to, to get emotions out of Top Gun was, uh, yeah, no, it was surprising. I, was, I, to, I told it to you when I saw the first one. I was like, I was choked up like, well, multiple times Well, you said something else to me, which I think was interesting. You said this is... What made me want to get into the movie business? Yeah. This type of feeling. That kind of a feeling is why I wanted to do this. Now, very different from me. Those were never the movies that made me want to get into the business. But this movie, what I, I'll tell you, especially seeing it Memorial Day weekend with, with, you know, with the country in seeming shambles, it just made you feel like you want yeah. to be an American. And this is why America is still the best place on earth, even with all the, all the problems. But the movies that, you know, that made me want to get into movies, aside from the big comedies, are stuff like The Godfather. Yeah. It's not that I'll ever make something like that. Well, thinking, speaking of se- great sequels, right? Like Godfather 2, and now I think Top Gun Maverick fall into those uh, awesome categories of great sequels. I won't put those in the same breath, but uh, I, do, <laughs> I, 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 do, uh, I do really like this movie. I like it better than the first movie, so I, I, thought, yeah. it was, I thought it was better, and uh, it was emotional. But uh, So that's it. We are... Um, we are in full sales throttle mode, and I don't yep. know. That I'm a little nervous. Not gonna lie. Well, are you? What can we do to help you? No, nah, nothing. I mean, listen, I've been here before. It just is what it is, you know. My grandfather used to take me to the track when I was a kid. He was a real big track guy, and uh, I feel right now like I did when I was a kid. And that, and kind of the lesson that he taught me is like, you you do your research, you you read the you read, you read the racing form, and you buy your ticket. Yeah. After that, 
you got the excitement is let's see how it turns out. Yeah. I mean, so part of me, that's part of the, me, part the of gates me, are about to open. Part of me wants to know everything, and part of me wants to know nothing. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, but I think <laughs> just wake you up when when it's over. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think right now it's it's all hands on deck. One of the things you have to remember again, I do believe we have an undeniable product. Yes, but there's a, a thousand examples including The Godfather. Nobody wanted to make The Godfather, no. okay? One of the greatest movies of all time based on one of the biggest selling books of all time. So that, that, by the way, that was surprising to me about the offer, thinking that this is one of the best selling books of all time and people are debating whether or not they should well, convert it into a movie. Well, you have to remember, which is such a different world now, and I, I'd be interested to see young people when they watch The Godfather. People can't even remember the, the racism against Italians and yeah. Jews back in, in you know, in those days, yeah. you know, so there was Italian alliances that did not want movies being made about the yeah. mafia and yeah, they yeah. were, and they were big and they were powerful and, and it, it's wild to watch it because that, again, we'll, we'll get a little more Godfather in here, but it's, it's such an immigrant story and nothing about that movie doesn't play right now because it's the same thing that happens every day. Yeah. And the only difference is I think you're watching, I think young people are going to watch and go, why are they, why are they uh, being mean to the Italians? Because I don't think people can understand that the Italians were the Mexicans, the Syrians, what are, the El Salvadorans, whatever you want to call them, 50 years ago and 60 years ago. And now they've assimilated into society where I don't think people- Well, you know, I've got them. my own personal connection to That's that right. story. That's right. Ted is actually Italian, which is bizarre. Or part yeah, my, my, my great-grandfather was uh, Giuseppe Trulli. And uh, when he came here, he took his wife's name because he said, our kids have no shot in America with my, with my name. It was so, a present. It's under my wife's name. That's right. It was a yeah. So uh, so my my last name was. <laughs> Is Chick- that Goodfellas? You yeah. Goodfellas. What did I tell you? I lo- what I did love, I, I tell love, you? I love that car. Uh, yeah. So my my last name has changed from what it was because of that very reason. The the hatred towards Italians. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I think which I'm not up to it on the offer yet. I think Italians embraced the movie when it came out, but I'm not sure. I mean, because it is. While you can say, oh, it's just a gangster movie about criminals and murderers, it really is about the American dream and about coming over here and about nobody giving you an opportunity. And some people had to be strong enough and tough enough to go take it. And it's the same cycle that happens over and over again. And uh, I think everybody should who's listened to this should watch all of those. Godfather 1, 2, The Offer. And then you make that move to Goodfellas and Casino. Because the difference is, and people go, oh, which one is better to you? No, no. there is no better to me. Just Godfather is such a romanticized version yeah. of the mafia, but still realistic. And I grew up with those people. Yeah. I lived next door to gangsters and mobsters who were dead in jail. And it was a very realistic look at how they're. But you knew that you knew they had a family life. I knew the inside family. My first girlfriend's father, who is, is gone from Sammy the Bull. Um, you know, that was what the family was like. Now they were doing things that I couldn't comprehend in my house, yeah. but, uh, you know, it, it happens how it happens. So also on Twitter, someone wanted to, someone asked me and I wish I, I had their name out of it, but they wanted to know about the music for Ramble On and where we are at with it. So uh, just a couple of things. Number one, we don't have to pay for anything now because we're just showing it to people. So once it comes on, then we will decide whether we can get songs like Ramble On and what kind of budgets we have for music. 
But in this pilot episode, there is not a lot of music. Of course, there's going to be an opening song, and yep. the closing song at the moment is, is Ramble On by Led Zeppelin, which I know how hard it was to get going to California for Entourage, so I'm not... Even not spend not my, a lot of hope. I'm not going to spend my time worrying about that right now. I don't think the 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 show relies on music. No. I think there's a lot of different ways we can go on it, and uh, and I feel good about it. But we'll come back. Also, I just wanted to give for anyone who watches any video of this. I'm I'm hatless here. Less than two. It weeks looks good surgery. now. Well, it looks good now. Thank you. But it's also just so everyone knows. I don't know what it looks like on top. The first two weeks after this, actually, hair starts to fall out. So whatever it is now, it's going to look a thousand times better in. Four months, Thank six God. months. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's just for all you Dr. Zeering fans out there. I'm feeling good and I have no more pains. So One of the things that I will say, I, I've, I've been looking through some of the comments and things like that, uh, especially about on the my podcast. Hair? No, no, not about <laughs> your hair. Right. That people really want to hear about the, f- the food angle of, of some things. So food I know you angle? went to, yeah, they, they, one of the things that w- was originally in the Hollywood Ways podcast was there was a oh. segment about food. And they were like, you know, where's the food? Because they really like to hear us talk about well, food. You know what? So and I know I you went should, to New York this week. I should have. A, I had a little pizza run in New York, which I, I, I saw a little bit of Connecticut. Instagram. I went to New Haven, which, you know, oh. Sally's and Frank Pepe in New Haven, Connecticut are ranked on every list around yeah. the country as top five, top I 10 I haven't been to either places. one of them. So I took my son, and uh, we went with everybody to check out. The, the, you, uh, you said you know who he is, which is so crazy. My friend Tom Kelly's son is the Shirley Temple King. He's like this, uh, I think he's eight now, this eight-year-old who started reviewing Shirley Temple's <laughs> online. And, I remember that kid. Wait, what, what do you mean you remember him from? I just remember seeing it online or something, that right? Is, what, do you make a gazillion dollars? That is so crazy to me. Well, Ellen put him on her show, yeah. and Drew Barrymore, he's like a correspondent on that. And he wants to act, and... Uh, and by the way, I got him, which I put it on Instagram to do because Libby's is also a famous Italian yeah. pastry shop in New Haven, Connecticut. So the kid was, I got him to do the, uh, take the gun, leave the cannolis, yeah. you know? So, uh, we were talking about that, but, um, we went to Sally's and Frank Pepe back to back. What do you mean? Like within a, a, a meal and a meal or a meal and a meal. Yeah. They're, they're, they're. A hundred yards apart from each other. And so it wasn't like you went for lunch to one place, dinner for another. You were like, I'm going to eat, and then we're going to walk over down the block and yeah, eat we're, again. We're going to compare these two amazing <laughs> oh, that's pizzas. That's nice. You know? And then the next day, I was going to go to Joe's Pizza in New yeah. York City, which, which is uh, different. The Sally's and Frank Pepe are Neapolitan pies. Mm-hmm. Joe's is slices and more New York slice. So Joe's is still, in my opinion, the best slice of pizza in the world. Really? Yes. Sally's and Frank Pepe might be the best Neapolitan pies. And people like who don't know this, I've been all over Italy. I've had homemade pizzas in Italy. I've gone to the best pizza places in Italy. I've been to Damascel in um, um, Napoli, which is ranked on many lists as the greatest Neapolitan pizza. And it's awesome, yeah. by the way. It's incredible. Sally's, Sally's and Frank Pepe, are, they're amazing. There's just no... Uh, I, I feel like I got to go east again and yeah. try just for a pizza. The worst thing is, and I blame, uh, I blame Leo, the, the Shirley Temple King, because Sally's, they've sent me some pizzas out here. Yeah, they sent um, a couple, uh, couple yeah. weeks ago, I thought. So I felt, I felt very guilty going from Sally's over to Frank oh, Pepe, oh. even though I didn't know Sally's... I've been to New Haven. I've been to Frank Pepe's. I didn't know Sally's till about a year ago. People started telling me about it going. It's How been, long has it been there? So Sally's been there since 1938. Holy God. Frank Pepe's been there since 1925. Okay. Wow. So, and uh, Frank Pepe's famous with their pie is this, uh, this clam pizza with clams on it, which is awesome. So, but everyone was going, which is better. I'm not being diplomatic. They are both 
amazing. And I'm not sure I would ever be able to go there and not go to both, both. places. And I'd have to decide which one's first and how to not fill up. Oh, I was, man. you know, because I've been healthy for almost since my birthday, since the screening of my birthday, April 6th. Yeah, you've been, you've been on been a good kick. Unbelievable. I ate so much pizza, I thought I was yeah, going to Yeah, I die. saw the photos. I was like, Jesus, what a... And I then mean, the a, next day... That's a, that's a full-out bender you went on. And my son, who weighs like 140 pounds, probably, he's now... Um, he eats like me. He's an an... Or like I used to. He's an animal. So we woke up the next day from Connecticut. We had an eight, uh, 9.30 reservation at Sedell's on West Broadway in New York City, which is awesome. And we, we got in a car, so we get there. We ate like animals. And then I said, Luke, we're walking. This was breakfast. We're walking right over to Joe's right now for a slice, just so you can have them all. And I think he's with me, too. These are... I, I, there's no reason to even rank them. They're all incredible, and I don't... I don't want to have a gun put to my head to pick which one is the best, but they're all awesome. So um, everybody should try that New Haven, Connecticut. And apparently, which I've still not been to, like Louis Lunch, I think it's called, is like the first cheeseburger in the United States. And that's like since the early 1900s. Well, I mean, you think about that, like a restaurant that's been around since like 1930. Like, holy cow. That's I mean, what a testament that is that people, you know, still go to that kind of a thing. And also what else is around from then? But also a place where because the Godfather takes place in like, I think, the 40s. That was a time when these Italian immigrants came over here and were really discriminated against, and these guys came and made these incredible pizza places, and they've lasted a hundred years. Yeah, so awesome. it's wild. So anyway, I had a great Italian meal too in Palm Desert, which really shocked me. I sent you there. No, no, I went to a different place which called place? Castelli's. Have you heard of it? I have not. It was awesome. If anybody feels like a great meal, go to Castelli's. It's super laid back, very chill. It actually. It feels like a, an old school place that's probably hasn't been remodeled since you know 1980. Or I'm gonna have to check it out. I real, always, real, real I haven't always been. I had a veal Ted, parmesan. Ted's, a, Ted's that allergic was to garlic, so I don't no, need no, to no, listen no. to his food. Taste. That's not true. <laughs> I had a veal parmesan that literally was paper thin. It was unbelievable. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have to try that, and hopefully next week. I, I don't want anyone to anticipate that there's going to be some quick news on this. First of all, we got to set up meetings. We yeah. have one because um, you know, which was the type of reaction I was hoping for, but. I, we talked about it last week, but someone introduced us to the head of one of the biggest TV production companies in the world. We're not going to mention who. And they got on the phone with us in less than five minutes after that introduction and said from the minute they heard about the show, they were excited to see it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, we live up to whatever thoughts were in their head. But yeah. I think we will. And um, everybody is, is ready to go. So who knows what the news will be by next week. I wouldn't expect much because we've got to set up the meetings. July 4th is quickly coming, and this town, this town is tough in the summer. Yeah. Lots of people are gone for the whole time. Yeah. But uh, tomorrow is our sound mix, and that is it until somebody buys this and says we want to change it or we decide, which is still a possibility. Now, we're going to make more of these on our own, and we're going to self-distribute them. So if everyone spread the word on this podcast – um, just forward it to people. Do whatever you can. Give us a good review. There's some other, some animal following me around, by the way, who just keeps like giving me bad reviews. And it's so clearly personal, which uh, I like to say from The Godfather, it's just business. This is not business. This is some asshole trying to, uh, and Apple should take that shit down. But everybody, if you can, the bigger we can build this community, the more chance we have to get this out there. And I really do think people are going to love it. And I'm excited yeah. working on the story doc for what's going forward. Get into a more of it next week, so ramble on. Ramble on. <laughs> <laughs>